Section two of Strangers at Lisconnel by Jane Barlow. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section two. Chapter three. Mrs. Kilfoyle's Cloak. The opprobrious proverb already mentioned is not the only permanent mark of unpopularity that the tinkers have earned for themselves at lisconnel their very name has become a term of reproach among us so that the old tinker is recognized as an appropriate epithet for any troublesome beast or disagreeable neighbor if they were not case hardened by long experience they would surely be mortified sometimes at the reception with which they meet almost wherever they go the approach of the two queer vehicles in which they now generally travel is watched by displeased eyes all over our countryside and they are so to speak lighted on their way by the gleam of suspicion or resentful glances and it must be admitted that their evil reputation has not been bestowed upon them gratuitously according to Oddie rafferty the like of such a clanjamfrey of thievin' drunken miscreants you wouldn't easy get together if you had a spring-trap set for them at the old fellow's front door for a month of sundays and if himself didn't do a hard day's work the time he was contructin' them he never done one in his life and that's a fact but Oddie is apt to be particularly severe in his strictures upon the tinkers because he feels an aggravated form of rivalry existing between him and them for the wiliness which is understood to be Oddie's forte also preeminently characterizes many of the tinkers nefarious proceedings and this makes it seem to him that they not only set their wits against his but throw discredit upon his favorite quality for the glaring moral defects which they exhibit in conjunction with it one's pleasure in being described admiringly as the old boyo that's in it is much diminished when one hears the same thing said bitterly of some slavine who has filched a poor body's meal-bag or run off with a lone widdy's woman's fowl still although the tinker's name has become a byword among us through a long series of petty offences rather than any one flagrant crime there is a notable misdeed on record against them which has never been forgotten in the lapse of many years it was perpetrated soon after the death of mrs kilfoyle's mother the widow joyce an event which is but dimly recollected now at lisconnel as nearly half a century has gone by she did not very long survive her husband and he had left his roots behind in his little place at clonmena where as we know he had farmed not wisely but too well and had been put out of it for his pains to expend his energy upon our oozy black sods and stark white boulders but instead he moped about fretting for his fair green fields and few proudly cherished beasts especially the little old kerry cow and at his funeral the neighbors said ah bedad poor man god help him he never held up his head again 
from that good day to this. When Mrs. Joyce felt that it behooved her to settle her affairs, she found that the most important possession she had to dispose of was her large cloak. She had acquired it at the prosperous time of her marriage, and it was a very superior specimen of its kind, in dark blue cloth, being superfine, and its ample capes and capacious hood being double-lined and quilted and stitched in a way which I cannot pretend to describe, but which made it a most substantial and handsome garment. If Mrs. Joyce had been left entirely to her own choice in the matter, I think she would have bequeathed it to her younger daughter Teresa, notwithstanding that custom clearly designated Bessie Kilfoyle, the eldest of the family, as the heiress. For she said to herself that poor Bessie had her husband and children to console her anyway, but little Teresa, the creature, had ne'er such a thing at all, and wouldn't have, not she, God love her, and the back of me hand to some I could name. It seemed to her that to leave the child the cloak would be almost like keeping a warm wing spread over her in the cold wide world, and there was no fear that Bessie would take it amiss. But Teresa herself protested strongly against such a disposition, urging for one thing that sure she'd be lost in it entirely if ever she put it on, a not unfounded objection, as Teresa was several sizes smaller than Bessie, and even she fell far short of her mother in stature and portliness. Teresa also said confidently with a sinking heart, but sure anyhow, Mother Jewel, what matter about it? Twill be all gone to holes and flitters and thureens, and so it will, please goodness, afore there's any talk of anybody else wearing it except your own old self. And she expressed much the same conviction one day to her next-door neighbor, old Biddy Ryan, to whom she had run in for a loan of a sup of sour milk, which Mrs. Joyce fancied. To Biddy's sincere regret she could offer Teresa barely a skimpy noggin of milk, and only a meagre shred of encouragement, and by way of eking out the latter with its sorry substitute consolation, she said as she tilted the jug perpendicular to extract its last drop. Well, sure, me dear, I do be saying me prayers for her every son goes over our heads, that she might be left with you this great while yet, deed I do so. But ah, Kushla, if we could be keeping people that away, would there be ever a funeral, even going back on the road at all at all? I'm thinking there's scarce a one livin', and he as old and foolish and little good for as you please, but some creature'll be grudging him to his grave that's himself may be all the while wishin he was in it or more be token how can we tell what queer ugly misfortune them that's took is took out of the road of that we should be as good as biddin them stay till it comes to ruinatin them so it's prayin away i am honey said old biddy whom teresa could not help hating heart sickly but like enough the lord 
might know better than to be mindin' a word I say. And it seemed that he did. Anyway, the day soon came when the heavy blue cloak passed into Mrs. Kilfoyle's possession. At that time it was clear, still autumn weather, with just a sprinkle of frost white on the wayside grass, like the wraith of belated moonlight when the sun rose, and shimmering into rainbow stars by noon. But about a month later the winter swooped suddenly on Lysconnel, with wild winds and cold rain that made crystal silver streaks down the purple of the great mountain heads peering in over our bogland so one perishing saturday mrs kilfoyle made up her mind that she would wear her warm legacy on the bleak walk to mass next morning and reaching it down from where it was stored away among the rafters wrapped in an old sack she shook it respectfully out of its straight-creased folds as she did so she noticed that the binding of the hood had ripped in one place and that the lining was fraying out a mishap that should be promptly remedied before it spread any further she was not a very expert needlewoman and she thought she had better run over the way to consult mrs o'driscoll then a young matron esteemed the handiest and most helpful person in Lysconnel. It's the nature of her to be settin' things straight wherever she goes, Mrs. Kilfoyle said to herself, as she stood in her doorway, waiting for the rain to clear off, and looking across the road to the sodden roof which sheltered her neighbor's head. It had been lying low, vanquished by a trouble which even she could not set to rights and some of the older people say that things have gone a little crookeder in Lysconnel ever since the shower was a vicious one with a sting of sleet and hail in its drops pelted about by gusts that ruffled up the puddles into ripples all set on end like the feathers of a frightened hen the hens themselves stood disconsolately sheltering under the bank mostly on one leg as if they preferred to keep up the slightest possible connection with such a very damp and disagreeable earth you could not see far in any direction for the fluttering sheets of mist and a stranger who had been coming along the road from duffelane stepped out of them abruptly quite close to mrs kilfoyle's door before she knew that there was anybody near he was a tall elderly man gaunt and grizzled very ragged and so miserable looking that mrs kilfoyle could have felt nothing but compassion for him had he not carried over his shoulder a bunch of shiny cans which was to her mind as satisfactory a passport as a ticket of leave for although these were yet rather early days at lisconnel the tinkers had already begun to establish their reputation so when he stopped in front of her and said good day ma'am she only replied distantly it's a hardy morning and hoped he would move on but he said it's cruel cold ma'am and 
continued to stand looking at her with wide and woeful eyes in which she conjectured erroneously as it happened hunger for warmth or food under these circumstances what could be done by a woman who was conscious of owning a redly glowing hearth with a big black pot fairly well filled clucking and bobbing upon it to possess such wealth as this and think seriously of withholding a share from anybody who urges the incontestable claim of wanting it is a mood altogether foreign to lisconnel where the responsibilities of poverty are no doubt very imperfectly understood accordingly mrs kilfoyle said to the tattered tramp ah then step inside and have a couple of hot potatoes and when he accepted the invitation without much alacrity as if he had something else on his mind she picked for him out of the steam two of the biggest potatoes whose earth-coloured skins cracking showed a fair floweriness within and she shook a little heap of salt the only relish she had onto the chipped white plate as she handed it to him saying sit you down be the fire there and get a taste of the heat then she lifted her old shawl over her head and ran out to see where at all brian and thady were getting their deaths on her under the pours of rain and as she passed the keogh's adjacent door which was afterward the sheridan's whence their larry departed so reluctantly young mrs keogh called her to come in and look at the child who being a new and unique possession was liable to develop alarmingly strange symptoms and had now woke up with his head that hot you might as well put your hand on the hob of the grate mrs kilfoyle stayed only long enough to suggest as a possible remedy a drop of two milk whey but ah sure woman dear where at all would we come by dat wit the crother of a goat scarce wet in the bottom of the pan and to draw reassuring omens from the avidity with which the invalid grabbed at a sugared crust in fact she was less than five minutes out of her house but when she returned to it she found it empty first she noted with a moderate thrill of surprise that her visitor had gone away leaving his potatoes untouched and next with a rough shock of dismay that her cloak no longer lay on the window-seat where she had left it from that moment she never felt any real doubts about what had befallen her though for some time she kept on trying to conjure them up and searched wildly round and round and round her little room like a distracted bee strayed into the hollow furze bush before she sped over to mrs o'driscoll with the news of her loss it spread rapidly through lisconnel and brought the neighbors together exclaiming and condoling though not in great force as there was a fair going on down beyant which nearly all the men and some of the women had attended this was accounted cruel unlucky as it left the place without any one able-bodied and active enough to go in pursuit of the thief a prompt start might have overtaken him 
especially as he was said to be a trifle lame-footed though mrs mcgurk who had seen him come down the hill opined that twasn't the sort of lameness would hinder the miscreant of steppin out only a square manner of flourish he had in one of his knees as if he was gatherin' himself up to make an offer at a grasshopper's lep and then thinkin better of it little taddy kilfoyle reported that he had met the strange man a bit down the road leggin it along at a great rate with a black roll of something under his arm that he looked to be crumplin up as small as he could the word crumplin went acutely to mrs kilfoyle's heart and some long-sighted people declared that they could still catch glimpses of a receding figure through the hovering fog on the way toward sullenbeg i think he'd be beyond seein' afore now said mrs kilfoyle said mrs kilfoyle who stood in the rain the disconsolate centre of the group about her door all women and children except old johnny keogh who was so bothered and deaf that he grasped new situations slowly and feebly and had now an impression of somebody's house being on fire he must a took off wid himself the instant me back was turned for never a crumb had he touched of the potatoes maybe he'd that much shame in him said mrs o'driscoll they'd a right to ha choked him troth and they had said ody rafferty's aunt is it chokin said young mrs mcgurk bitterly sure the bigger thief a body is the more he'll thrive on whatever he gits you might think villainy was as good as butter to people's potatoes you might so sharn how are you liker he'd ate all he could swally in the last place he got the chance of layin his hands on anything ach woman alive but it's the fool you were to let him out of your sight said ody rafferty's aunt if it had been me i'd never ha took me eyes off him for the look o him only goin by made me flesh creep upon me bones deed was i said mrs kilfoyle sorrowfully a fine fool and vexed she'd be real vexed if she guessed the way it was gone on us for the dear knows what dirty old rapscallions'll get the wearin of it now real vexed she'd be this speculation was more saddening than the actual loss of the cloak though that bereft her wardrobe of far and away its most valuable property which should have descended as an heirloom to her little katy who however being at present but three months old lay sleeping happily unaware of the cloud that had come over her prospects i wish to goodness a couple of the lads ud step home wid themselves this minute o' time said mrs mcgurk they'd come tip wid him yet and take it off him ready enough and smash his ugly head for him if he would be givin them any impudence ay and twould be real charity the mean beast or sling him in one of the bog holes said the elder mrs keogh a mild-looking little old woman i'd leave for nine nine pennies see them comin' along but i'm afeard it's early for them yet everybody's eyes turned as she spoke towards the ridge of the knockdown though with no particular expectation of seeing what they wished upon it but behold 
just at that moment three figures blurred among the grey rain mists looming into view be the powers said mrs mcgurk jubilantly it's oddy rafferty himself to your souls now you've a great good chance ma'am to be gettin it back he's the boy'll leg it over all before him for in those days oddy was lithe and limber and it's hard set the thievin turk'll be to get the better of him at a racin match ay och she had begun to hail him with a call eager and shrill which broke off in a single croak like a young cock's unsuccessful effort och murther 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 she said to a bystander in a disgusted undertone i'll give you me misfortunate word them other two is the police now it might seem on the face of things that the arrival of those two active and stalwart civil servants would have been welcomed as happening just in the nick of time yet it argues an alien ignorance to suppose such a view of the matter by any means possible the men in invisible green tunics belonged completely to the category of pitatie blights rent warrens fevers and the like devastators of life that dog a man more or less all through it but close in on him a pitiful quarry when the bad seasons come and the childer and the old crothers are starvin with the hunger and his own heart is broke therefore to accept assistance from them in their official capacity would have been a proceeding most reprehensibly unnatural to put a private quarrel or injury into the hands of the peelers were a disloyal making of terms with the public foe a condoning of great permanent wrongs for the sake of a trivial temporary convenience lisconnel has never been skilled in the profitable and ignoble art of utilizing its enemies not that anybody was more than vaguely conscious of these sentiments much less attempted to express them in set terms when a policeman appeared there in an inquiring mood what people said among themselves was musha cock him up i hope he'll get his health till i would be tellin him or words to that effect while in reply to his questions they made statements superficially so clear and simple and essentially so bewilderingly involved that the longest experience could do little more for a constable than teach him the futility of wasting his time in attempts to disentangle them thus it was that when mrs kilfoyle saw who Audie's companions were she bade a regretful adieu to her hopes of recovering her stolen property for how could she set him on the tinker's felonious track without apprising them likewise you might as well try to rush one chicken off a rafter and not scare the couple that were huddled beside it the impossibility became more obvious presently as the constables striding quickly down to where the group of women stood in the rain and wind with fluttering shawls and flapping cap borders said briskly good day to you all did any of yous happen to see e'er a one of them tinkering people goin by here this mornin it was a moment of strong temptation to everybody but especially to mrs kilfoyle who had in her mind that vivid picture of her precious cloak 
receding from her along the wet road recklessly wisped up in the grasp of as thankless a thieving black-hearted slavine as ever stepped and not yet perhaps utterly out of reach though every fleeting instant carried it nearer to that hopeless point however she and her neighbors stood the test unshaken mrs ryan rolled her eyes deliberatively and said to mrs mcgurk the saints bless us was it yesterday or the day before my dear you said you seen a couple of them below near old o'burns and mrs mcgurk replied ah sure not at all ma'am glory be to goodness i couldn't a told you such a thing for i wasn't next or nigh the place would it have been Audy rafferty's aunt she was below there fetchin up a bag of mail and bedad she came home that dreeped the crother you might a thought she'd been after fishin it up out of the bottom of one of them bog holes and mrs kilfoyle heroically hustled her taddy into the house as she saw him on the brink of beginning loudly to relate his encounter with a strange man and desired him to whist and stay where he was in a manner so sternly repressive that he actually remained there as if he had been a pebble dropped into a pool and not as usual a cork to bob up again immediately then mrs mcgurk made a bold stroke designed to shake off the hampering presence of the professionals and enable oddie's amateur services to be utilized while there was yet time i declare she said now that i think of it i seen a feller crossin the ridge along there a while ago like as if he was comin from salenbeg ways and according to the appearance of him i wouldn't wonder if he was a one of them tinker creatures carryin a big clump of cans he was at any rate i noticed the shine of them and he couldn't have got any great way yet to speak of supposin there was anybody lookin to follow after him but constable black crushed her hopes as he replied ah it's nobody comin from salenbeg that we're anything to say to there's after bein a robbery last night down below at jerry dunn's a shawl as good as new took that his wife's ragin over frantic along wid a sight of fowl and other things and the tinkers that was settled this long while in the marine at the back of his haggard is quit out of it afore daylight this morning every rogue of them so we'd have more than a notion where the properties went to if we could tell the road they've took we thought like enough some of them might a come this way now mr jerry dunn was not a popular person in lisconnel where he has even become as we have seen proverbial for what we called old niggerliness for there was a general tendency to say the devil's cure to him and listen complacently to any details their visitors could impart for in his private capacity a policeman provided that he be otherwise a decent lad which to do him justice is commonly the case may join with a few unobtrusive restrictions in our neighborly gossips the rule in fact being free admission except on business only mrs kilfoyle was so much cast down by her misfortune that she could not raise herself to the level of an interest in the affairs of her thrifty suitor and the babble of voices relating and commenting sounded as meaningless 
as the patter of the drops that jumped like little fishes in the large puddle at their feet it had spread considerably before constable black said to his comrade well daily we'd better be steppin home wid ourselves as wise as we come as the man said when he axed his road of the old black horse in the dark lane there's no good goin further for the whole gang of them scattered over the country again now like a seedin thistle in a high wind ay bedad said constable daly and be the same token this one ud skin a tanned elephant it's only bogged and drenched we'd get look at what's comin up over there that rains snow on the hills every good drop of it i seen ben bawn this mornin' as white as the top of a mushroom and it's thickenin with sleet here this minute and so it is the landscape did indeed frown upon further explorations in quarters where the rain had abated it seemed as if the mists had curdled on the breath of the bitter air and they lay floatin in long white bars and reefs low on the track of their own shadow which threw down upon the sombre bogland deeper strains of gloom here and there one caught on the crest of some grey bouldered knoll and was teased into fleecy threads that trailed melting instead of tangling but toward the north the horizon was all blank with one vast smooth slant of slate colour like a penthouse roof which had a sliding motion onwards Ody Rafferty pointed to it and said truth it's teemin powerful this instant up there in the mountains twill be much if you land home afore it's atop of you for it would be the most i could do myself and as the constables departed hastily most people forgot the stolen cloak for a while to wonder whether their friends would escape being entirely drowned on the way back from the fair mrs kilfoyle however still stood in deep dejection at her door and said och but she was a great fool to go let the likes of him set foot within her house to console her mrs o'driscoll said ah sure sorry a fool were you woman dear how would you know the villainy of him and if you'd turn the man away without givin him ever a bit it's bad you'd be thinkin of it all the day after and to improve the occasion for her juniors old mrs keogh added ay and more betoken you had a been committin a sin but mrs kilfoyle replied with much candour deed then i'd a tale liefer me after committin a sin or a dozen sins than to have me poor mother's good clerk thieved away on me and walkin wild about the world as it happened the fate of mrs kilfoyle's cloak was very different from her forecast but i do not think that a knowledge of it would have been consolatory to her by any means if she had heard of it she would probably have said the cross of christ upon us god be good to the misfortunate creature for she was not at all of an implacable temper and would under the circumstances have condoned even the injury that obliged her to appear at mass with a flannel petticoat over her head until the end of her days yet she did hold the tinkers in a perhaps somewhat too unqualified reprobation for there are tinkers and tinkers 
some of them indeed are stout and sturdy thieves veritable birds of prey whose rapacity is continually questing for plunder but some of them have merely the magpies and jackdaws thievish propensity for picking up what lies temptingly in their way and some few are so honest that they pass by as harmlessly as a wedge of high-flying wild duck and i have heard it said that to places like lisconnel their pickings and stealings have at worst never been so serious a matter as those of another flock finer of feather but not less predacious in their habits who roosted for the most part a long way off and made their collections by deputy copyright eighteen ninety five by dodd mead and company walled out from bogland studies and once we were resting a bit in the sun on the smooth hillside where the grass felt warm to your hand as the fleece of a sheep for wide as we looked overhead and around twas all ablaze and aglow and the blue was blinkin up from the blackest bog holes below and the scent of the bog mint was strong on the air and never a sound but the plover's pipe that ye'll seldom miss by a lone bitter ground and he leaned mr pierce on his elbow and stared at the sky as he smoked till just in an idle way he stretched out his hand and stroked the feathers of a wan of the snipe that was kilt and lay close by on the grass and there was the death in the creature's eye like a breath upon glass and says he it's queer to think that a hole ye might bore wid a pin it'll be wide enough to let such a power of darkness in or such a power of light and it's queer to think says he that one of these days the like is bound to happen to you and me then mr barry he says musha how's one to know but there's light on t'other side of the dark as the day comes after the night and och said mr pierce what's more our knowin save the mark than guessin which way the chances run and thinks i they run to the dark or else again now some glint of a beam had come slithered and slid sure light's not easy to hide and what for should it be hid up he stood with a sort of laugh if on light says he you're set let's make the most of this same as it's all that we're like to get them were his words as i minded well for often afore and since the identical thought that bothered me head that seemed to bother him then and many's the time i'd be wonderin whatever it all might mean the sky and the land and the beasts and the rest of them plain as plain and all behind and beyond them a big black shadow let fall ye'll strain the sight out of your eyes but there it stands like a wall and there says i to myself we're goin wherever we go but where we'll be when we get there it's never a no i know then whilst i thought i was maybe a thookin to trouble me mind with strivin to comprehend unnatural things of the kind and quality now that have learnin might know the rights o the case 
but ignorant ones like me had better leave it in place priest to be sure and parson according to what they say the whole mather's plain as a pike-staff and clear as the day and to hear them talk of a world beyond ye'd think at the least they'd been dead and buried half their lives and had tramped it from west to east and who's for above and who's for below they're as pat as if they could tell the name of every saint in heaven and every divil in hell but cock up the lives of themselves to be settlin it all to their taste i says and the wife she says i'm no more nor a heathen beast for mighty few of them's real quality musha they're mostly a pack a plebeians each with a tag to his name and a long black coat to his back and it's only romancin they are belike a man must stick be his trade and they get their livin by lettin on they know how one's soul is made and in chapel or church they're bound to know something for sure good or bad or where'd be the sense o their preachin and prayers and hymns and howlin like mad so who'd go mindin em barrin women in course and wains that believe most aught ye tell em if they don't understand what it means bedad if it weren't the nature of women to want the wit parson and priest i'm a thinkin might shut up their shop and quit but och it's loss and distracted the creatures ud be without their bitter diversion on sundays when all of them gets about clutherin and plutherin together like hens in a roostin in rows and meetin their friends and the neighbors and wearin their dacent clothes and sure it's queer that the clergy can't ever agree to keep be tellin the same true story since they know such a wonderful heap for many a thing priest tells ye the parson says is a lie and which has a right to be wrong the devil a much know i for all the differ i see twixt the pair of them is fitted a nut one for the union and one for the league and both of them bitter as sot but mr pierce that's a gentleman born and has college learnin and all there he was starin no wiser than me with a shadow stands like a wall End of section 2